Amen. Matthew chapter 1, I appreciate those testimonies each week. And just a missing piece, again, his name is Jesus. Well, college football, national playoffs are not far away. We have four teams playing for the national championship, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Cincinnati. I'm not going to ask you who your team, favorite team is to win, but those teams are playing for the national title. Here's what I know. If you're going to play for the national title, the national championship, at that level, it takes hard work to do that. You don't just get there. There's training, there's practicing, there's two-a-days. I mean, you, it's grueling to get to that level in college football, and those teams are vying for the national title. Now, I want to ask you today, as you think about your relationships, your marriage, do you want to have national championship-level relationships and marriages? And I'm going to say today, if you do, it's going to require hard work to have them. It's possible but it's going to take great, great hard work. In fact, as you think about your marriage, do you want to have a great, intimate marriage? And if you do, and I know most, all of us would say yes to that question. If you're going to do so, you need to read the manual. That's the owner's manual. That's God's word. Because when you read the Bible about relationships and about marriage, here's what God's going to do in your life. He's going to teach you whom he wants you to be in life. But also he's going to teach you what he wants you to do in life. And as I think about relationships, I think about marriages, I know this about every single one of us here and those here watching, we all have needs, we all have issues, we all have conflicts, and we all have expectations. Every single one of us. And as you think about the story of Mary and Joseph, two precious individuals whom the Lord is bringing together, but they had issues. They had expectations. They had drama in their relationship, tension in their relationship. And as you and I think about the story in Matthew chapter 1, it's not a Hallmark Christmas movie because there's no snowflakes here at the end. But it is the Lord at work in their lives. And so I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 1 as we look at this story, Mary and Joseph. Coming up on February the 13th, 2022, not far away. You're going to be able to make reservations for this soon. But we're going to have a marriage event on that Sunday evening for relationships. Those who are dating and those who are married. We want to invest in your lives. We recognize, again, the value of relationships, the value of marriages. And as I think about our church, we exist to worship God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. We do that in the lives of individuals, couples, as well as families. And that particular night on February the 13th, we'll worship together. We'll have a dinner together, but we're going to do teaching together, but also breakout sessions. We want to invest in your relationships in your marriages. Two questions I want to ask you. As I think about this message, Mary and Joseph, a perplexed couple, is your marriage, your relationships perplexed? And, and honestly, you don't have to raise your hand or even speak out loud, but you would just say, I didn't think marriage would be this way. I, I didn't think my relationships would be at this stage and the reality of where they are. I didn't, didn't see that coming. And then I want to ask you, how do you handle conflicts? How do you handle disagreements and arguments in relationships, even in marriage? How do you do that? And as you and I understand what we're going to see from Mary and Joseph, they had their issues, but how did they handle that? They were perplexed. How did they deal with that? What can we learn from that? So how do you handle those situations? And I would say this, every relationship, no matter how long you've been married, how long you've been dating, every relationship, you will have conflicts. 
You're, you're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. It comes to every single one of us. But the key is how do you respond? How do you handle that? And so I know this as you think about relationships. Just because you have challenging issues in your relationship, it doesn't mean anything is wrong with you or anything is wrong with your relationship. But I would say if you're in a relationship, a marriage or a serious dating relationship, and the person, the mate you're with is acting like he or she is single, then you've got some issues that you need to deal with. Mary and Joseph. Many of us in this room are competitive, and I want to make a confession to you. I can be pretty competitive in life at times as well. I've just been reading some works about Charles Finney, one of the great revivalists throughout our, our history, very competitive in his life. Just read some words over the week about William Booth. He founded the Salvation Army. He was very competitive in his life, and I can tend to be very competitive as well. In fact, when Angie and I are playing miniature golf, and if she gets a hole-in-one, she knows we're not leaving until I get a hole-in-one. So we may have to stay all night, but we're not going to leave until I get one. And so we were walking last Sunday afternoon. We were walking at Rotary Park, beautiful place to walk. And so as we were finishing up our walk, we saw horseshoe pits. And so I said, well, let's pitch horseshoes together. Hadn't done that in years. So we found the horseshoes, and we got she had two and I had two. And I said, here's the deal. We can't leave until one of us makes a ringer. And what I meant was we can't leave until I make a ringer. I mean, if she makes one, I'm not going to leave until... I get one. So I'm texting John Mark during that time, and I said, if I'm not in the office tomorrow, I'm still pitching horseshoes because I'm not going to leave until we get a ringer. Angie started praying. Thank God he answered. I got a ringer. We were able to go home. But competitive spirits. Many of us in this room, we understand competition, what it means to be competitive. Here's a challenge for us in relationships when we're perplexed. If we're not careful... We will bring that competitive spirit into our relationships. And so when we have issues, there's disagreements, arguments, or tension points. We want to be competitive. And so we've got an issue. We say, I want to win the argument. I want to win the disagreement. I want to win the conflict. And in my many decades of pastoral ministry, I've seen individuals very competitive say, hey, I won the conflict. I won the disagreement. I won the tension point. But you may have won that, but here's what I've seen. You may have won, but the marriage, the relationship lost. I just encourage you, be careful about bringing a competitive spirit into your relationship, into your marriage, because you might win the argument. You might win the disagreement. You might win the conflict, but the marriage or the relationship loses. What about Mary and Joseph? We know this story so well. But we've got to go back and think about how did they see this from their perspective. And the good news is Joseph didn't win. The good news, Mary didn't win. The good news, their relationship won for the glory of God because they handled things God's way. A perplexed couple. Now, take your outline just for a moment. I want to give you some insights here, help you understand about the story and the lives of Joseph and Mary. And so I want to give you seven principles here about them. Number one, he was a man of few words. And that's a stretch on a sentence. In fact, he didn't say any words in Scripture. The wise men had something to say. The shepherds did. Mary did. But Joseph, there's no recorded words in the Bible from Joseph himself. But his lifestyle, his actions speak volumes. Number two, he was serious about character. You and I live in a day where character, integrity, doesn't seem to mean very much in politics and business and even sports. 
But when you look at the life of Joseph in relationship to God, but also to Mary, he was a man of character and integrity. He wanted to do what was right in the eyes of God, but also in relationship to Mary. He was a person of character. Number three, he lived above his circumstances. I mean, can you imagine the drama that was going on in Joseph's life when he heard the news that Mary was pregnant? But as you think about it, he lived above his circumstances. How did he do that? He kept his eyes on God. That's how he did it. He kept his eyes on God, and so he lived above his circumstances. You and I, again, we're going to face a lot of drama and tension points in life. We can live above our circumstances as well when we keep our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. When we do that, we can live above our circumstances, not underneath our circumstances. Number four, he thought of others before himself. I want to say to you, if you're going to have great relationships and you're going to have a wonderful Christ-centered marriage, you're going to have to die to yourself in order to do that. It's going to cost you. If you're going to have a national championship marriage, it's going to cost you. It's hard work. In Philippians chapter 2, we find the Apostle Paul writing against some believers. What did he say to them about consider others better than yourselves? Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Joseph put the needs and interests of Mary before him. You and I need to do the same things in relationships. Think of others before we even think of ourselves. And then about Mary, number five, she lived a life of surrender. When you look at Mary's life, she was surrendered to God. She was all in. God, whatever you want, I'm your servant. My hands are open. I have surrendered everything to Almighty God. Whatever he wants to do in my life. I ask you, are you surrendered in your relationship with God this morning? Are you relating to him with open hands or clenched fists? He wants you and me to be all in, all surrendered. Yes, with giving, but also our lives. Are you surrendered to him? And then number six, she possessed a servant's heart. When you look at young Mary, the interesting part is she wasn't a celebrity. When you look at Mary's life, she didn't want anyone to worship her. Worship was to be to the Lord Jesus, not her. And she was a servant in life. That's what she said. I am the Lord's servant. So when you look at the life of Jesus, washing the feet of his disciples, serving them, when you look at pastors and deacons and others in the fellowship of the church, he's called us to be servants as well, servant leaders. And what does that mean? That means if there's trash on the restroom floor, we're not above bending down and picking it up. Why? We're servants. Now, I would encourage you, if you're a part of the church, don't throw trash on the restroom floor for one. But if it's there, then be willing to bend down because we have the nature of a servant and be willing to pick it up. Jesus was a servant. Mary was a servant. You and I need to be servants. And then number seven, they were an inspiring model of obedience. Because what we're going to see in this story, everything that God asked them to do, they did it. And I just encourage you today as individuals, as couples, even as married couples, be inspiring models of obedience whatever God asks you to do just obey him and that's even today if he asks you to give your life to Christ obey him if you need to follow him in believers baptism obey him you need to join a fellowship of our church family obey his leadership you need to change something about your marriage your family your relationship obey him He's calling you to Christian ministry to serve him all the days of your life that you would be a servant. Obey him. Follow his leadership, being an inspiring model of obedience. Those are the stories of Joseph 
and Mary. Number one on your outline, accept that relationships aren't easy to understand. I saw a child the other day holding a sign. It was absolutely hilarious. And the sign said, parents for sale, buy one, get one free. (laughs) Maybe some parents would say something about that as well. But yeah, parents for sale, buy one, get one free. As you and I think about life and you start going through life, here's some things that we often say. Now, God, why do we take one step forward and two steps backwards? And God, how did we get in this financial shape anyway? And God, why are we having issues in our marriage or relationship? And God, I don't understand why we just can't get along in life. And God, why don't you answer our prayers and God, what do you want to do in our lives? And why does it seem like all the ungodly people get all the breaks in life and here we are trying to do what is right, but we struggle? God, what is going on in life? You just got to accept that relationships aren't easy to understand. And then you come to Matthew 1 and you say, well, what is Christmas all about? Well, we get the answer to that in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Christmas, folks, is about Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He is the hero of the story. He is the central figure of the Christmas story. It's Jesus. And so now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, now we're introduced to some people, Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we've got Jesus, the center of the Christmas story. But we also have Joseph, we have Mary. Their relationship wasn't easy to understand. Now in this text it says they were betrothed. What does it mean if you lived in Jewish culture in those days? Here was the progression of relationships. On one end there was acceptance. And what that means is an agreement was made between the two families that these two individuals could join their lives together. So Joseph and Mary, their parents, agreed that they could join their lives together in marriage. So there was an acceptance and an agreement. There was also a pledge. We see the word betrothed, but it was a pledge. It was much like engagement in our day, but it was binding in many ways. Here's what I mean by that. When you were engaged and you were pledged to one another, the only way to break that was two ways, either death or divorce. And please, you couldn't do that over text message or email. It was a serious agreement. It was a serious pledge. And so they were at that stage in the, in the relationship. Then the third level of that was coming. It was marriage. The relationship was consummated. They started living together. There is nowhere in God's word where it teaches cohabitation is what God desires. And so Joseph and Mary, two individuals, faithful to God, faithful to one another, the agreement had been made. A pledge had been made, and they were waiting for the marriage to take place. That's the stage that they were in. And then as you think about the Christmas story and relationships, yes, Mary and Joseph, what was their relationship with God like? What was their relationship to one another like? Because the tension is coming to this relationship when Mary or someone is going to have a conversation with Joseph. It is going to change his life and the direction of their relationship. Two words here I want you to write down. One is reality. 
As you and I think about this story again, we see that this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. His mother Mary was betrothed, pledged to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I imagine if you had a conversation with Joseph today and they said, what do you think about your relationship? He thought that they were going to marry. They were going to continue in the carpenter business. They were going to have maybe kids together and they were going to live happily ever after. That was his perspective. And we don't know how the word came to Joseph, but somewhere he got the news that Mary was expecting a baby. She was pregnant. And I would imagine if it came something like this, maybe one day Mary walked and said, Joseph, I've got something to tell you. You may want to sit down for this one. And then somewhere maybe she says to him, Joseph, you need to know I am expecting a baby. I'm pregnant. Can you imagine what Joseph must have felt? Relationships just aren't easy to understand. Uh, I was pastoring a church one time, and, and we filled out our taxes the year, and so didn't even realize it for the year going on that our finance department had made a mistake on our taxes for the entire year. And so when the accountant called me back and said, I'm going to give you what you're going to have to pay to the IRS, he opened it up by saying, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm doing good. And his next statement was, are you sitting down? Now, when your accountant asks you if you're sitting down, it's not going to be a good conversation. Trouble is on the horizon. I imagine Joseph, you may want to sit down for this one. And as you think about that, imagine what was going on in Joseph's mind, the reality. How could Mary be, have been unfaithful to me? Who was the father of this child anyway? And God, what do you want me to do next? How am I to relate with Mary? I thought we were going to get married, live happily ever after. What am I to do next? That is the reality. You're going to face some tough days in your relationships. You're going to face reality. How did we end up here? Why can't we get along? How can we stop living from paycheck to paycheck? You're going to have to face reality. Happened for Joseph and Mary. Happens for us. Number two is the word response. Somewhere when you face reality, then you have to respond. And what happened in this context, Joseph is going to respond because, um, again, the response is Joseph, before they came together, she had found to be with child. Her husband, Joseph, being a man, and wanted to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When you look at that story, Joseph really thought he had two options. I can divorce her or she can be stoned to death. Those are the options. But God's going to communicate to Joseph to say, Joseph, you don't just have two options. You have a third option, and that is to be faithful to me, faithful to Mary. But you're going to marry her. You're going to engage her in life. And Joseph had a decision to make. God, what am I going to do in relationship to you? God, what am I going to do in relationship to Mary? But notice this next one. God, what am I going to do in relationship to this baby whose name is going to be Jesus? What am I going to do with him? Same thing is true on this morning. How are you going to relate to God, but also what are you going to do with this baby? What are you going to do with the Savior of the world whose name is Jesus? You can't stay neutral to him. Jesus said, whoever's not for me is against me. So, so you're going to make a decision for him. You can't straddle the fence. You can't stay neutral. You're either going to run to him or run from him. You're either going to embrace him or deny him. You're either going to receive him or reject him, but you can't stay neutral to him. The reality is he gave his life for you and me. We're going to give a response to him. Let's embrace him. Let's receive him. Let's run to him. 
Joseph, the relationship wasn't easy to understand because he's heard the words, I'm expecting a baby. And what was he going to do to God, but to Mary, but also to this baby? Look at number two. Learn how to listen as God speaks. I would imagine in this room there there are people who would say, you've been taught how to do many, many things in life. If you're a great cook, somebody taught you how to cook. Uh, You you can mow a great yard because someone taught you, here's how you mow the yard. Uh, When we we mowed yards and houses we live, I always wanted to look like a golf course. And so I would always put it at an angle and so forth, always because somebody taught me how to do that. Maybe somebody taught you how to ride a bike. Somebody taught you how to use and work a computer. Maybe somebody taught you how to balance a checkbook. There are some in this room who don't even know what a checkbook is. They still exist, by the way. But how do you balance a checkbook? Somebody taught you how to do that. Well, let me ask you, has anyone in your life ever taught you how to listen to God in life? My first Christian book I ever bought, literally the first one, I have a few Christian books in my life. But the first Christian book I bought was a book by Dr. Charles Stanley, and here's the title, How to Listen to God. Because I knew during my life, even early on, that if I was going to follow God, I was going to be everything that God wanted me to be. It was imperative that I knew how to listen to him. Because if I didn't know how to listen to him, I was going to make many mistakes in the Christian life and ministry. So God, if I'm going to be faithful to you and serve you, then I need to know how to listen to you. And parents, let me encourage you and grandparents, one of the greatest lessons you can ever teach your kids or grandkids is not how to cook, not how to ride a bike, not how to balance a checkbook or even to use a computer. The greatest lesson you can teach your, teach your kids or grandkids how to listen to God in life. It's going to affect every decision they make in life. How do you listen to God? How do you know what God wants you to do? God's going to speak through his word. He'll speak through the Holy Spirit, prayer, circumstances, even other people in our lives. But how do you and I listen to God in life? God, I'm standing at a crossroads. How do I hear your voice? What do you want me to do so I can obey you? Learn how in your life to listen to God. That's why we're encouraging you to spend time in God's word. Now, look at these two words. Number one, it's personal. When God speaks, it's personal. Look at his context. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, again, he's at a fork in the road. What am I going to do with God, but also with Mary, but even with this baby? He's at a fork. He's trying to consider what is he going to do. And then God speaks into his life. God speaks into his life. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, spoke directly to him, called him by his name, Joseph, son of David. God is personal when he speaks to you and me. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He's going to speak personally into your life. And I just encourage you as you think about, God, I'm listening to you. Speak. Your servant is listening. What is God saying to you? What does God want to do in your life? You're trying to ponder. What do you do? Do you go this direction, this direction? Listen to God and see what God wants you to do. And God was speaking very personal to Joseph. He'll do the same to you. He'll speak to you. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Obey me in believer's baptism. Join the fellowship of my church, which my son gave his life for. Follow me in Christian ministry because it's not a career decision for you. I'm calling you to serve me all the days of your life. You obey me. God is personal with you and with me. Second word is the word purpose. 
When God speaks to you and me, there's a purpose behind it. And so he speaks into Joseph's life. Joseph, again, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she's telling you the truth. She's not been unfaithful to you. She's not done anything that will harm you. She's been faithful to me and faithful to you in this relationship. The baby that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she has been faithful to God, but also to me. And there's a purpose behind it. Now notice the next part. He's going to keep getting more real with Joseph because he comes and he says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't fear, take Mary as your wife, conceive her and it's from the Holy Spirit. Then here's some of the purposes for that. Joseph, you, you, you're going to realize you're not going to have to do an ultrasound here. Why? She will give birth to a son. There's no question. It's going to be a son. It's going to be a male child. Uh, you're not going to have to go to Amazon.com and buy a book and figure out what name you're going to name him. You shall give him the name Jesus. I mean, he's laying it out for Joseph. But Joseph also, you're going to understand his purpose. Why is he going to be born? He's going to do what? He will save his people from their sins. So you know the gender, you know his name, and you know his purpose. He is born to die so that you and I could live. So he's speaking very personal to Joseph, but also in the sense he's given him purpose. God is going to do the same. And when God speaks, it will always be consistent with his word. He's never going to tell you to do one thing and a verse in God's word tells you to do something else. God is consistent when he speaks. And so what did he say? He's, he's revealing truth from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is doing everything in agreement with the Bible. Still true in our day. Look at number three. Live regret free by doing what God says. Now I know these things in life. Uh, We chew chewing gum that is sugar free. We eat food that is fat free. Uh, We drink soft drinks many times that are caffeine free. But I want to ask you, how many of you are going to come to the end of your life living regret free? Again, I wish that would be every single one of us in this room and those who are watching. We would come to the end of life regret free. But I've met many people, moments away from death, would look at it and say they've got all sorts of regrets in life. Why? They wish they would have spent less time in the office and more time with their families. They, they, they wish they would have turned the lights out more and went home and focused on something, again, that was helpful for them to take better care of themselves. Uh, they, they wish they would have taken the trip that they always talked about but never got around to do it. Checking those bucket list items off in life while you have the opportunity to do so. Many would say they wish they had studied and spent more time in God's Word, been more active in their faith relationship to Christ. They would say, I wish I would have shared Jesus more with people in my life. Wish I'd have served the Lord Jesus Christ more in the church. I just encourage you, make sure you come to the end of your life living regret-free. That's doing what God says do. Mary and Joseph had no regrets. They did exactly as God wanted to do. Let me give you these five ways you can live regret-free in marriage relationships. Number one, love one another. You love God but you also love one another. And again, I, just, I wish I would have drew this out, but if you just take a, take a pyramid, you put God at the top of that pyramid, and you on one side and your spouse, your mate on the other side, truth of the matter is the closer the two of you get to God, guess what happens? The closer the two of you get to one another. 
And so your relationship with God's not going to pull you apart. Your walk with God's going to pull you together. So make sure you love one another. How do you handle disagreements and issues and conflicts? Make sure you do that because you love one another. In 1984, Robert Lewis shared the story of a story about his mom and dad. Short story in Reader's Digest. When he was growing up, his mom and dad one night at the the dinner table had an argument, a dispute. Something wasn't going right. His dad got up from the table, went and got a piece of paper and a pen, came back, gave one to his wife. He kept one and said, I want us to write down everything tonight that we don't like about each other. And then we'll compare notes. And Robert said, sitting around the kitchen table, it was pretty tense when they started doing that. She's riding up a storm. Then he looks at Robert's dad. He's riding up a storm. And then finally they get to the point and said, we've had enough time. Let's exchange papers. You read what I've wrote, and I'm going to read what you have just written. And Robert said when his mother got the note from his dad, it just said, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she said to him, give me my paper back. Uh, but somewhere you just need to love one another. If, if you're going to live regret-free, number two, invest time together. You've got to spend time together. You've got to make time together. And I pray together every morning. I encourage you in your marriage relationship, dating relationship, pray together. Have conversations with God with one another. Call out each other's name in prayer. Spend time, invest time together in conversation with God, but just with one another. Sometimes here's what you'll see. You go to a restaurant and you're having a dinner and you're sitting there at dinner and you see this couple sitting over there in your sight. They're laughing, they're talking, they're having a joyous time together. And what do you say? They must be dating one another. And then you see another couple sitting over there. There's silence at the table. They're staring at the ceiling. They're looking at their cell phones and you say, they must be celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. Invest time together. Have fun in your relationship, your marriage. Mary and Joseph love one another, but they invested time together. Number three, consider future consequences. Somewhere just look down the road. Again, they consider the consequences. If we don't obey God, what happens to us? If we don't love and respect one another, what happens to us? And they looked at the consequences and said, let's obey God. And then number four, live by faith. Again, what were, they going to, what were people going to say? What were people going to do? Who knows what they were going to say, what they were going to do? Joseph, let's obey God. He was a just man, a righteous man. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And then number five, always obey God. When you look at their story, the Bible says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife still faithful in relationship to her because he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Then they got married, the relationship how God wanted it to be. And then he did what he called his name, Jesus. Everything that God asked him to do, he did. They lived regret-free. Now, relationships aren't easy to understand. You're going to face tension, conflicts, disagreements. But you work through those. So the marriage, the relationship wins. You've got to be in a position to listen to what God's saying to you. That's why we encourage you to be in God's word. And then you've got to make a commitment that you're going to live regret-free. And here's what I know in life, even from Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son. This morning, those who are in the room, those who are watching, when you take a step to God, you know what he does to you? He runs to you. 
He runs to you. The story of the prodigal son. Father, give me my share of the estate. He goes off and while living, he wastes literally everything he had. But the Bible says when he came to his senses, he thought about his father and what it was like to be home and he turned his heart, he turned his attention back to the father. And when he turned his heart back to the father, what do we see the father doing? The Bible says the father ran to his son. And so I just encourage you as dating couples or married couples, when you look at the story of Mary and Joseph and your relationship is not all that you thought it would be or what God desires, you take a step toward him today and you let the Heavenly Father run to you. He'll change your life. He'll change your marriage. He'll change your relationships. Our perplexed couple can find peace because Jesus is the missing piece. Now, grace is there to save you, but grace is there to help you. And so in this room, we're going to give an invitation. I'm going to be here. Our pastoral staff will be here. Our prayer partners, our prayer teams are going to be here. If we can pray for you, help you, counsel you, love you, we encourage you to come forward this morning. We would love to do so. Obey God. Live regret-free. And those who are watching online, you see an email address there. The platform you're watching on, you can send us a personal private message and we'll respond to you as you ask us to. Because we want to see you come to Christ and obey Him as well. Amazing grace in my life, but also for us as a couple. So this invitation is for you. We're going to be here. We encourage you to obey the Lord's leadership. You may be perplexed, but He can give you peace because Jesus is the missing peace. Father, we love you. Thank you for grace. Thank you this morning that Jesus gave his life for us. And Father, I pray in the room and those who are watching, we'll see many, many people give their lives to Christ. We'll see people obey you in baptism. We'll see people joining our church family. God, we'll see people turning a step towards you so that you can run to them in marriage, relationships. But thank you for the story of Mary and Joseph and how it relates to us. And thank you that Jesus is our peace. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.